everybody, Scott Burnside back for another special playoff edition of Two Man Advantage, the podcast. I feel a little bit like when you first start to binge watch The Wire or Breaking Bad and you're so invested and you feel all wrung out and have to have a nap after you watch and then you realize, oh my god, we got 50 more episodes to go. And here we are, three days into the return to play for the NHL and no shortage uh, of news and remarkable events really both on and uh, on the ice in terms of play and connected to the game and uh, for instance I thought a seminal moment uh, on Monday evening the battle against uh, uh, racial injustice uh, racism social injustice uh, really I think a significant moment as we saw Tyler Sagan and Jason Dickinson of the Dallas Stars uh, kneel alongside Las Vegas Golden Knights, Robin Leonard and Ryan Reeves uh, during the national anthems of uh, prior to their uh, round robin game. And on the ice, Andrei Svechnikov, the terrific star of the Carolina Hurricanes with a hat trick and Carolina up 2-0 on a Ranger team I think a lot of people thought were, were going to be a lot more competitive. Um, Winnipeg down Patrick Liney, Mark Shifley, uh, gritty gutty 3-2 win to even their series against Calgary and maybe the biggest news of the day in terms of the actual competition on the ice the two heavy favorites in the qualifying round Pittsburgh and Edmonton getting up off the mat with wins although not really sort of classic wins and uh, let's start with our good pal Rob Rossi covers the Penguins for us and among many other things for us in Pittsburgh Rob, I, you know, I, I, you and I, uh, along with uh, our Montreal group and, and your colleagues, Josh Joey, Sean Gentili, uh, we did a, sort of a roundtable thing during game one, one in overtime by uh, Montreal on Jeff Petrie's goal. And uh, it's, so I, I sort of thought the Penguins would come back with a vengeance and, and really sort of make an emphatic statement. And I don't know what you thought of uh, the Penguins. 3-1 victory, but I'm not sure Emphatic covers it, but what, what's your takeaway now that the Penguins have evened this series up? I think they have reset the series and for the first time put some doubt into Montreal. Uh, the score does not indicate how dominant Pittsburgh was through the first couple periods. And what's becoming clear is that other than for moments of utter desperation, when this is five on five, it's not real competitive, but Carey Price is making it that way. Now, you know, I thought Arpham did a great job of, of conveying like, you know, the Canadians are going to have to help Price out at some point because right. I'm not sure he can do a whole lot more. But, you know, Scott, I looked at that after two periods last night. That was one of the most lopsided metric games I've ever seen. And it was one of those times where the metrics matched the eye test. And Look, God help the Canadians if the Penguins ever figure out how to score a power play goal because they keep taking <laughs> penalties. And at some point you would think the Penguins are going to just get one in. But in terms of the way the Penguins played that game through the first two periods and then even in the third when Montreal made it surge, the Penguins didn't sit back. They were still playing hockey, uh, still trying to score. I, I thought... I thought that was a pretty good win for the Penguins. I really did. Yeah, you know, and I, I, I'm with you. I thought the Penguins were much better. I, I know I was looking, 
you know, Evgeny Malkin had, uh, who I didn't think was very good in game one. And there were lots of players for the Penguins who, who just didn't seem right in sync. He had seven shots on goal last night. I, I do think the power play is a curious thing because, <laughs> and it's not the first, it's not the first time you and I've had this discussion over the years because, uh, you know, at various times during the Crosby area era, the Penguins have been like, you're like, okay, why can't you score every single time you have a man advantage, right? right. You've got Malkin, Crosby, Latang. Uh, you look around that lineup, and right now they're one for twelve on the power play, and really, you know, had a chance to 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 really put that game out of reach. And you mentioned the Montreal surge in the third period, and there was a time during the early part of the third period, you were like, "Oh my gosh, is are, are the Habs going to hang around long enough and then send it to overtime for a second straight game?" And uh, I wonder, is this just one of those things? Listen, that's the benefit is you're playing the twelve seed. Montreal's not very good outside of Carey Price. Um, does it really matter that their power play stinks at this point? Well, I mean, their power play is probably the reason they're not up 2 nothing in the series, right? So sure, it's a 1-1 it's a, it's a series as opposed to uh, a 2-0 series. And, and let's face it, in a best of five, you kind of throw out all the old rules. I'll say this, and I have to be careful because I don't want it to come off as a criticism of Sidney Crosby. It's not. But I've long thought the reason this power play struggles is Sidney Crosby knows that as a stationary player, he's not as effective. He likes movement with the puck. I'm not talking about movement through zones. I'm talking about just he likes to be moving with the puck. Unlike some guys who have been great power play quarterbacks, I think of a guy here in Pittsburgh, Mario Lemieux, who could, could do things by just standing there, could make his reads. And what you'll notice with the Penguins' power play when it's not going well is when the puck comes to Crosby, he starts taking everything with him towards the goal line, sometimes even behind the net. And the wingers start reading off Crosby, which then leaves Malkin and Latang up top as the point men. And they're kind of like, um, guys, this has gone from a four-on-three to like essentially a three-on-four. Because even as great as Crosby is... Once that other forward goes behind the net to anticipate what Crosby might do with reversing the puck, you go even. So the Penguins kind of take away their own advantage. Um, And in a five-on-three, they have this maddening ability to make it a three-on-three because of the same reason. So why they don't just gear everything to Malkin with that one-timer the way Washington does with Ovechkin, I've never understood um, it's the simplest thing for them. It's the most effective thing for them. And Malkin played a lot better in game two. But if he's able to get one of those power play shots to go in, I think that's just going to give him that little bit more confidence boost he needs to be even better in game three. You mentioned, you know, how the Canadians aren't giving Carey Price much help. I was looking at the stats this morning. Uh, Shea Weber, Nick Suzuki, who was so good in Game 1, Jonathan Drouin, and the overtime hero of Game 1, Jeff Petrie, all registering zero shots on goal in yeah. Game 2. But but I will say this. To me, and we discussed it a lot during Game 1, where, you know, Matt Murray was... 
okay, and you're sort of like, I don't know, and, you know, you don't listen. Tristan Jari, statistically, you could have made a case that he should have started game one, was the best goalie on this team during the regular season, although that was 150 years ago. Um, I thought Matt Murray last night stopped 27 of 28, but just to me was so calm, and you're like, okay, yeah, this guy's won two Stanley Cups. There is a, you know, throw the stats out. At some point, you just have to accept, all right, he gets it, and I I think they're going to be okay. And I wonder if you felt that way or any differently about Matt Murray after Game 2 or not. I've always thought Matt had this in him. It was a question of could he tap into it and find it again. When Matt is at his best, he's an unspectacular goaltender. He is a truck uh, he is a puck tracking genius. He might be a truck packing genius too. I don't know, but <laughs> I think he's he a is puck... actually. I read yes, that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's 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 the best goalie I've ever seen when he's on his game at just seeing the puck. Um, I'm not even talking anticipating, just seeing the puck. And um, when he's doing that, he's usually playing atop his crease and making himself big. And he's huge. And when he's playing well, the puck just has a way of hitting him. And if you go back and watch that game. Again, I guarantee you, you're going to see it looks like the Canadians are just sort of hitting him with shots. And if you're a Canadian supporter, you're kind of going, guys, what are you doing? Well, the goalie's doing that to them. And, uh, you know, Carey Price last night played one of the best goalies I've games of goal I've ever seen against a Penguins team that I've covered. Truly. It took a sensational read and execution by Sidney Crosby to beat him with the first goal. And an unbelievable pass, well, not unbelievable because it happened, but a very good pass from <laughs> Connor Sherry to to set up the second goal. Other than that, he was perfect. But you know what? Took a really good, you know, force of nature goal to get past Matt Murray. And I thought he was every bit as, if not price is equal in terms of quantity, in terms of quality, he did what you wanted the Penguins to do. He, he he gave you a chance when the other goalie was great to to win the game. And that's all you can ask, I think, if you're the Penguins. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's going to be – listen, I, I assume the Penguins now will continue to exert their will and, and win this series. And, and uh, you know, who knows, right? It is hockey. So, uh, But I thought that was a really important game. Uh, Rob, before we let you go, I want to ask you about one of the games that will go on later today. We mentioned Andrei Svechnikov of the Carolina Hurricanes, a guy I spent some time with earlier this season in Carolina. And uh, the Canes are the first of the qualifying teams with a chance to advance to the first round of the playoffs. Uh, they're up 2 nothing, and really have dominated the Rangers. I know a lot of people like the Rangers. Felt, you know, they're Artemi Panarin, Hart Trophy candidate. Thought, you know, the uh, young guys on the back end. And just, I, you know, I think people expected the Rangers to be a lot better. And, of course, no one really expected Henrik Lundqvist to be in goal for um, uh, the Rangers, of course, Shesterkin unable to play for the second straight game. Uh, but I think David Quinn is, is likely going to be making a goaltending change for Game 3, whether Shesterkin or Gorgiev. Um, wasn't a great outing for Hendrik Lundqvist in Game 2. And I wonder, Rob, listen, you've seen lots of Ranger playoff series with the Penguins. You understand how important Lundqvist is to this Ranger franchise. It, it, it's entirely possible we've seen the last of him certainly in the Ranger playoff uh, 
game. And maybe, who knows, I don't know what happens with that Ranger goaltending situation moving forward, but it does seem like we're reaching a, a real sort of line in the sand or a crossroads in terms of, the, of that franchise's history and, and one of the great goaltenders of his generation. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a, a surefire Hall of Famer. I saw him and Marc-Andre Fleury wage some just epic battles over the years, and it was fun to watch. But I have to say, I mean, I do think for the Rangers, it would have been better to have that clean break uh, this postseason because when they were playing at their best this year, it wasn't with Lungfist in the net. And I understand the temptation to go with Lungfist, but, you know, to me, the difference between good coaching and great coaching in this round is you can't wait. You can't be tepid about making the tough call. Um, and, you know, it might have cost the Rangers, who I think, Scott, I think if the regular season hadn't been halted, they might have finished as high as third in the Metro. The way they were playing and the way the other teams were coming back. But um, if this was the end for Henrik Lundqvist, it's a shame he never finished it with a cup run because I think he did more for the sport of hockey in the New York area in terms of making it mainstream than anybody since Marc Messier. And if nothing else, that's a pretty damn impressive accomplishment. Well said, my friend. Well said, as always. And as always, you should be reading Rob Rossi at The Athletic Pittsburgh. And you can follow him on Twitter at real underscore Rob Rossi. Rob, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. It's great. Uh, it probably won't be the last time I call on you for uh, the uh, early morning two-man advantage episode. But uh, get some rest. We've got, a, we've got lots more hockey ahead of us. Anything for you, Uncle Scotty. A lot of hockey to watch. And that gives us the great segue from one giant getting up off the mat in the Eastern Conference to the Edmonton Oilers evening their series against the surprising Chicago Blackhawks in Edmonton, Alberta. And so we bring in Mark Lazarus of The Athletic Chicago, uh, co-host of the Laz and Powers podcast at The Athletic. And Mark, I, I don't I guess I'm a bit surprised uh, that we're 1-1 after two games in this series. Uh, but I'm even maybe more surprised that I, I just thought, like Pittsburgh, I thought Edmonton would come back with a vengeance. And in winning 6-3, it may look on paper like an emphatic dominant win. But I, I just thought that was kind of a junky game. And I am I was sort of left wanting from both teams. And I wonder what you make of, uh, of that 6-3 uh, tilt in Edmonton on Monday night. Well, I think you're always going to get kind of chunky, sloppy track meet games from these two teams because neither of them really like to play defense. But uh, game, game two was certainly a much better performance by Edmonton and certainly a much worse performance by Chicago. Uh, Edmonton had four high danger chances in the entire first game at five on five. They had 17 last night. So, uh, you know, it was a little bit more of the Blackhawks we're used to seeing. That team that, you know, was really shaky defensively. You see Connor McDavid just, you know, making Ole Mata look silly. He looks, everyone looks silly, but he makes Ole Mata look particularly silly. Uh, the, the Oilers were much more aggressive. They came out, they had more intensity. They were much more aggressive on the forecheck. And that really penned the Blackhawks. And the entire third period was spent in the Blackhawks zone. They just had no pushback at all. Uh, Edmonton really took it to Chicago after kind of coming in tepidly in that first game. 
Yeah, it was weird, though. I, you know, it was such an odd game because, you know, it looked for moments like Edmonton was going to just run away with things. And then maybe, I mean, early in game one, it looked like the same thing. But then the Blackhawks sort of swarmed uh, the Oilers and, 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 of course, ended up dominating game one. And uh, the Oilers never quite put it away. And I think in part because I, I just don't think Mikko Koskinen was all that good. And then they, you know, the Oilers continue to... You know, the the whole penalty trouble. At one point, they took three straight minors in the second period. And, if the, you know, if the Blackhawks had been more opportunistic, I mean, there was an opportunity for them to, to you know, to sort of push the Oilers back into a, a, an area of discomfort in that third period. Uh, but Corey Crawford really sort of salted away. Horrific play behind the net. And I just thought Corey Crawford looked very... He didn't look like Corey Crawford of Game 1. I'm just looking at my stats here. Uh, uh, Anyway, Corey Crawford, not very good last night. And I wonder if that's just, hey, guy hasn't played much hockey, uh, like a lot of players, obviously. But if you are concerned, if you're a Blackhawks fan, oh boy, you know, how how dangerous is that moving forward if the Blackhawks are going to stay in the series? Well, certainly. I mean, Crawford didn't get on the ice till the very last day of Phase 3. And every Blackhawk teammate and Colleton kept talking about how, ah, oh, he's the kind of guy that he can just jump on the ice and he's be fine. He's, he's, he's almost a freak how good he is at that. Well, it's not realistic to be good to be at midseason form when you've had four practices under your belt and one half of an exhibition game. So, no, I mean, Corey Crawford does not look like Corey Crawford, especially playoff Corey Crawford, who has been so great over the years. That was the Blackhawks' big advantage coming into this series was goaltending because they had a proven postseason performer going up against Mike Smith, you know, Dave Tippett's pet, and Miko Koskinen, who's, you know, fine. Uh, so if Corey Crawford is pedestrian, you know, the Blackhawks are in trouble because he was the difference maker for them. He was the edge they had. Uh, Edmonton, on the other hand, I mean, they're, they're, they're a special teams team. They're not very good five-on-five. Five. They're just as bad defensively as the Blackhawks. They've got mediocre goaltending, but what they have are these phenomenal special teams, one of the best power plays in the history of the game, literally. I think it's third or fourth best all time, and their penalty kill is uh, number two in the league. So when they kill off four straight penalties in the second period, don't let the Blackhawks get back into it, that's going to make the difference. The Blackhawks have to stay out of the box. Uh, they, they can't just keep putting McDavid in these positions to score power play goals. Uh, there's so many things that have to go right for the Blackhawks to win this series, and not nearly enough of them did yesterday. Yeah, I think you're right on there. And actually, Corey Crawford allowed six goals on 35 shots. See, I did make some notes here this morning. I'm not just, you know, just not making this stuff up in <laughs> my head. So. Um, all right, I, uh, I want to move on briefly, touch on a couple of other things. Um, I, I don't know if you had uh, an opportunity as you prepared for uh, last night's, uh, the last game of six uh, yesterday with the Blackhawks and the Oilers, but I, I was so intrigued by the whole Winnipeg-Calgary dynamic and, of course, Paul Maurice really going after Matthew Kachuk and the loss of Mark Scheifele and, of course, Patrick Liney also not playing. Uh, I, I, I thought Calgary... Calgary looked kind of like Calgary in the playoffs last year when they decided, listen, when good things happen to us, we really have to mess this up and really fail to take advantage of a uh, of a Jets team that were reeling after game one. And the Jets hung around, hung around and ended up with a 3-2 win. I thought that was I, I thought that was a pretty gutsy effort from a, a Jets team that you, you couldn't you wouldn't have been surprised if the Flames had come in and really put the foot down on them and, and it didn't happen that way. 
Well, we're in the process of moving, so I did not get to watch all of that game. But that's been the Jets all season, hasn't it? I mean, the Jets were supposed to be awful at the start of the year. They had no defense. They just kind of kept hanging in there, hanging in there. Injuries, Dustin Bufflin. They just kind of kept, we call them waiting for the bottom to fall. You would watch all the analytics guys, and you know, usually they're right on the money with a lot of these things. But they kept expecting Winnipeg to fall off a cliff, and they just never did. It's a scrappy, good team with a ton of high-end skill. And Connor Hellebuck's one of the two or three best players in the league this year. He's got. It's a shame he's not a Hart finalist because he belongs in that conversation. He's been so instrumental in getting him to this point at all. Winnipeg, I, they should be bad this year, but they've been pretty good. And it's really a mark of good coaching and just a great character uh, uh, and some just a couple of really high-end guys that have kept them in there. Okay, so... Uh- just not just because I took the Flames to win this series, sort of running against <laughs> running against type. But I was like last year, I thought you know they were the best team in the Western Conference. Uh, they play again this afternoon, this afternoon East time, six forty-five Eastern time. Uh, do you have a gut feel like what's which way does this go? Is that one of those games that the Jets, you know, they they run on adrenaline, they they win one for for the guys that weren't there, especially after the controversy made up or real over the Shifley injury and that's it and the Flames regain control of this or what do you make of it? I I always lean in favor of goaltending and I'll take Connor Hellebuck over Max Talbot um or Cam Talbot, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd take him over Max Talbot, too, although... I, I would like definitely Max. take him over Max Talbot, yeah. Good, um, good lateral movement from Max. <laughs> Calgary is just a team that I, I just... I can't get behind. I've never been that inspired by that team this year. They're just kind of there. They're pretty good. They probably should be better. But when it comes to the playoffs, I'm always going to side with goaltending. And I'll take Connor Hellebuck almost any, over almost anybody in the league right now. Yeah, uh, they say that's why you. That's why you're a true pro, Mark. That's it's so great. You you, you distilled it perfectly. Uh, it'll be fascinating to see six more games on tap today. Uh, thank you for getting up early. I know you're moving. It's a lot going on, but uh, excellent work this morning. And you should always read Mark's coverage. Uh, at the Athletic Chicago and subscribe to the Laz and Powers podcast at the Athletic, and you can follow Mark at Mark Lazarus. Go, go with your day. Be well. I'm going back to bed. Thank you, brother. It's always good to catch up with you. <laughs> you too, Scotty. All right. Here we go towards the end of yet another morning edition of Two Man Advantage. We're going to have Pierre Lebrun. He's returning. He's like the prodigal son. He'll be on uh, for a regular appearance on Two Man Advantage on Wednesday. And you should also uh, check out the full 60 because our special return to play roundtable with host Craig Custance, Pierre Lebrun, the aforementioned, Ryan Clark, Katie Strang, and myself. Uh, that should hit the airwaves sometime on Thursday. And you should check out our comment section for each podcast episode at the Athletic app. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to Two Man Advantage on Apple. And if you click on the show's URL, theathletic.com slash two man advantage, you'll get 40% off your subscription. And thanks for hanging out again this morning. And uh, tons of hockey yet to come. Pace yourselves. Pace yourselves. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs>